0: Welcome to Transition Talk, a podcast series by Accenture where it's all about the way we organize our energy needs in the nearby future. My name is Stuffy Voss and in this episode we discuss hydrogen, seen by more and more people as indispensable in the great task we have to get our energy needs sustainable. But is that really the case? Where are we at this moment and what are the main technical challenges we have to overcome? Each episode we are inviting two or three frontrunners. And today I'm going to speak with Melissa Stark. She is managing director at Accenture's Renewables. Noé van Hulst, he is hydrogen envoy at the Dutch Ministry of Economic Affairs and Climate Policy. And René Schutte, he is program manager at Hydrogen bij GasUnie.
1: Japan has announced its intention to become the world's first hydrogen society. It's been seen as a fuel of the future since the 1970s. The system we want to introduce
0: to you is hydrogen energy storage. Hydrogen fuel cells
2: run vehicles and other machines. So hydrogen is a really exciting technology and it's been talked about for many years.
0: Thank you for being here all and uh, welcome. Melissa, let's get the definition right. What exactly is hydrogen and which methods are used to produce it?
1: So hydrogen is an element and a molecule. So it's the, lightest, um, it's the lightest element in our periodic table, element number one. And then two of those atoms make the hydrogen molecule, which we call H2. It is an energy carrier, so it carries energy and then we can use it to produce electricity, to heat our homes and to for transport. And uh, which methods are used to produce it? Um, So there are three main types of hydrogen, um, what they call green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, and gray hydrogen. So green hydrogen is hydrogen that's produced from um, renewable sources, so wind and solar. And then they split, basically split the water molecule, which is H2O, and then they produce the H2 which is the hydrogen so it's completely from renewable sources and, and pr- produced by splitting the water in a process called electrolysis the second one the second um, production process is um, usually steam methane reforming from natural gas you can also produce hydrogen from coal but again it's about splitting that molecule so gas is CH4 so they steam methane re- reforming separates that and then you take the hydrogen hydrogen out the difference between blue hydrogen and grey hydrogen is the storage of that carbon so um, you can if you store it then it's called blue because then it's um, completely net zero and then if you don't and you you just um, release the co2 in the atmosphere then obviously it's not and that's what's called gray hydrogen
0: because there is still emission there is emissions yeah okay renee how is hydrogen mainly used today
3: yeah, hydrogen is mainly used today in uh, uh, as as feedstock, uh, in, in chemical plants, and refineries, uh, to to crack oil uh, for instance, but also to make uh, fertilizer. Uh, and all that uh, hydrogen is basically made from fossil fuels, so the, the grey hydrogen. Uh, in some cases, the CO2 is uh, taken from it already, uh, there are some applications where CO2 is used, uh, but predominantly it's uh, just going up to into the air.
0: But then you're talking still about grey...
3: Still talking about grey hydrogen, yes.
0: So, um, gas uni's main job is to transport Dutch natural gas. So why are you so interested in the use of hydrogen? These days,
3: yeah, Gazny is a European infrastructure company. We indeed transport gas, but we also store gas, and we have uh, together with Fortpak a receiving terminal for for LNG. Uh, we are a public company, and uh, as a public company, uh, we feel that uh, uh, we have a task and a role uh, to help uh, accelerate the energy transition. And for that reason, uh, we try to help uh, to change uh, from fossil fuels today into a green economy in in, uh, in 2050. 2050.
0: Yes. That's still a long way to go. Exactly. <laughs> that brings me to Noé. What is your role as hydrogen envoy of the Dutch government?
2: Well, my my role as a hydrogen envoy for the Dutch government is uh, basically to, uh, to intensify the cooperation uh, from the Netherlands with uh, other countries around the world to, uh, in order to accelerate the, the penetration of, uh, of, of clean hydrogen and also um, a lot of cooperation with international companies that are already investing in hydrogen in the Netherlands or that are intending to start investing in, uh, in the Netherlands. So uh, yeah, it's a global role, but of course with the focus since we are in Europe, a focus very much on Europe and the uh, neighboring countries.
0: And your focus is then basically on green hydrogen i suppose
2: well decarbonized hydrogen i would say so it's green hydrogen yes that's of course the the holy grail uh, if you if yeah. you can put it that way but it's also blue hydrogen we also believe in the netherlands that we need to uh, we need a lot of blue hydrogen certainly in the in the next 10 to 15 years to start the scale up of uh, clean hydrogen
0: but do we have facilitation to store the blue hydrogen? Because I heard Melissa say it, it needs to be stored.
1: The carbon. The carbon, carbon needs yeah. to be stored.
2: Yes, that's that's what we, we have. That we do, we do. Uh, that's uh, we are working on that. Um, for instance, offshore uh, the port of Rotterdam, we have a big uh, project underway. It's called Portos, which will be basically one of the biggest. Uh, CO2 storing sites uh, in the world. And we hope that this year final investment decision can be taken on that. And that will be able to store like uh, four to six, uh, probably even more uh, megatons of
0: CO2 in uh, in the next five to six years. Wow. And uh, Melissa, what kind of technical issues are there from your perspective to... Um get this done?
1: (laughs) Well, I think that, I mean, maybe one thing that's important for the listeners to understand is the scale of producing um, green hydrogen versus blue hydrogen. So the largest um, green hydrogen production unit today is in Japan from Fukushima and based on solar and is about 10 megawatts, right? In um, steam methane reforming of gas, you have hydrogen production facilities that are like one gigawatt. And so this is what... um, I think Noah and Renee are trying to allude to, is hydrogen is a play that requires infrastructure. So we would love to produce all the hydrogen from renewables, but that actually means that you have to produce enough extra renewables to make that hydrogen. So so that's why you need both. Like, if you're going to have an infrastructure, you're going to need to actually find a way to build something that eventually, when we create all that offshore wind, it goes into. And maybe these guys would want to chip in on that because I think that is the biggest challenge is, is creating that infrastructure. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that, Noem?
2: Yeah, I think um, uh, Melissa is completely right. So this is why indeed we as the Dutch government, we are we are pushing both at the same time. So the blue hydrogen to get started and to, to have also the infrastructure uh, already in place. Uh, but at the same time, we will start scaling up the green hydrogen. So we are looking now at a 20 megawatt electrolyzer project on green hydrogen in the north of the Netherlands where a lot of activity is actually concentrated. That would be this year hopefully final investment decision. That will be the biggest in the world. electrolyzer in uh, in Europe at least. I think they're building one in Canada as well at the moment uh, by early Keat. But in Europe at least it will be the biggest. And then we have a whole a whole pile of projects in the pipeline, which will go scaling up to 60, 100 megawatt, and then up to a gigawatt in 2030. So we are scaling up in the Netherlands. We have a whole pipeline of
0: projects that are able to start to scale up in the next 10 years. Wow. So how well are we doing as a country? Are we doing well? Is this like a, a big thing related to other countries? I'm proud to say that I think we are project. a front runner in
2: in Europe. I think that in Asia, uh, definitely Japan is leading. Uh, in the US, of course, California has uh, yeah. a strong position. But I think in Europe, I would dare to say, and I hope that Melissa agrees with me, that the Netherlands, uh, perhaps together with Germany and, and and the UK, is definitely leading in uh, in, uh, hydrogen.
0: So that's an international ambition. Sounds really big. And and René, from the GasUni perspective, what are Dutch... Projects. can you tell me more about that
3: yeah first of all we have a big opportunity in the Netherlands uh, because of uh, the gas production uh, natural gas production declining uh, we have a lot of infrastructure that can be repurposed in future so what we already proposed is to make uh, a hygiene backbone dedicated hygiene backbone in the Netherlands which can be made uh, uh, before uh, 27 so already in the next couple of years we can build on uh, infrastructure dedicated infrastructure uh, connecting the industrial clusters in the Netherlands, uh, but also connecting storage because we already talked about storage of CO2, but we also have a lot of storage uh, requirements uh, for hydrogen. Uh, maybe to add a little bit, why are we talking about hydrogen? It's about CO2 reduction, it's yeah. already mentioned, but hygiene is uh, an energy carrier that you can store in large amounts and it's something that you cannot do with, uh, uh, with electricity. Um, So we're working on that, uh, but maybe also uh, discussing the the most recent announcement we made together with Shell and uh, Groningen Seaports is developing uh, three to four gigawatts Wind at sea, together with onshore electrolysis, uh, scaling up uh, towards 10 uh, uh, gigawatts in uh, in 2014, and uh, that's all needed because we need dedicated wind at sea, solar power, uh, uh, maybe in in Africa or in Portugal, uh, to uh, uh, to make uh, uh, sufficient uh, uh, volumes of hydrogen uh, to replace in the end uh, the fossil fuels of today. That sounds so big and so far away. And um, do we now have this, like this more
0: examples? Just local in the Netherlands? This Uh, is tomorrow.
3: Tomorrow? This is (laughs) tomorrow. Basically, we are working on this now to have it ready tomorrow and we need it tomorrow. So it sounds far away. Uh, But planning energy is never about planning something today which will be delivered tomorrow. It's always planning uh, for longer periods in time. So for us, this is basically planning for tomorrow. So... And, and uh, I think Noé already explained uh, the 20 megawatt electrolyzer that we're uh, developing together with Nourion. Uh, we want to take final investment decision after uh, summer uh, to have it uh, uh, built uh, uh, next year. Uh, but all these processes take time. And the only thing we can do, we need to take all the steps. It's not rocket science, so we can only accelerate the steps, but we need to take the mold to learn and to scale up to the right proportions.
1: So like 10 years ago, if we look at offshore wind, I remember working in offshore wind in two thousand eight, nine, ten, 10, and we had, you know, one, I think one wind farm in the UK or maybe two, and they were just starting to auction. And then you look at offshore wind today, right? So the turbines have gone from two megawatts to 12 megawatts. The LCOE has been cut by 50%. And that's kind of the same with every technology, right? So like, I would say solar today, is only at the point where it will start to really, really scale because it's gotten to a maturity. So I think if in 10 years we are feeling about hydrogen the way we feel about solar, then we'll be in a really good place. It still won't be material because it takes time to then scale, but it's like that feeling that actually... Solar is here and it's going to grow. If in 10 years we feel like hydrogen is here and it's going to grow, that's all we're really aiming for. So for it to be like material big infrastructure, yes, 2040, 2050. But what we're hoping is that in 2030, you feel about hydrogen the way you feel about solar, right? Or the way you feel about offshore wind.
2: Yeah, I think I think I think it's a very appropriate comparison. I think that uh, indeed, as we've seen with solar and with wind, we also had to go through the what they what they call the learning curve to get down the cost and with scale and scaling mm. up and getting the cost down. That's basically the whole game, yeah. also for clean hydrogen. And so that's what we need to start now, in order to have any chance to re- to uh, achieve that climate neutrality in in 2050. So that's the hard thing for people to understand that you need so much time in order to get ready. So that's why also the blue hydrogen can help because that Mm. can very fast reduce CO2 and at the same time build the infrastructure. But the scaling up of the clean, of the green hydrogen, that will take time. But it's the only way in the long term that industry in Europe can survive decarbonizing industry without clean hydrogen is simply impossible. And the same is true for heavy-duty transportation and for long-term storage of of energy. So that's why it's indispensable.
1: it's because we have a lot of engineering problems that we need to hit and solve, right? So, for example, should we have a purpose, like should you take part of GasUni's pipeline and make it hydrogen only, or are you better off blending 20%? the hydrogen we talked about is it's a gas right so you can blend it with gas but it's lighter so it kind of moves different places how do we track that and keep it safe what is the impact on appliances like we even if we wanted to if even if if we only went for green hydrogen then we wouldn't hit those problems until we had enough green hydrogen And we need to hit those problems so our clever engineers can figure out, do you do lots and lots of 20 megawatt units just like, and configure them like Lego? Or do you make one really big gigawatt unit? Like there's so many engineering, I would say not science, but engineering problems that we need to hit so we can solve them. And then we'll be ready for the green hydrogen, which is going to actually have to follow offshore wind in Europe. Like, we won't have extra to make until then.
0: You're listening to Transition Talk, a podcast series by Accenture about the future of energy. Today, it's about hydrogen. As you already have heard, there are a lot of hydrogen projects. But how long will it take us before it really can be a substantial part of our energy needs in the future? That's what I'm going to ask my guests. We have in the studio Melissa Stark, Managing Director at Accenture Renewables. Noéven Hulst, he's the hydrogen envoy at the Dutch Ministry of Economic Affairs and Climate Policy. and René Schutte, Program Manager Hydrogen bij GasUnie. Melissa. It looks like hydrogen is a kind of
1: hype these days. How come? Um, I think because um, it's been around for a long time. People have talked about hydrogen since hydrogen fuel cell fuel cell cars in, in the 80s. Um, but I think what people need to understand is hydrogen from a science point of view is mature. Like we've used it. We use it. We use quite a lot of hydrogen in, in so many processes. So it's mature. It's in its application that's changing now. So before, we only really looked at hydrogen in the transport point of view from like an oil scarcity, peak oil perspective, which is completely different from how we're looking at hydrogen now, which is a way to then use our extra renewable resources um, and actually find a solution to CO2 reductions in— or, Greenhouse gas emissions—I should say—reductions in both heating and in transport. So it's it's different from what it was before. I think it's been around for a long time. So that's why some people are are skeptical.
2: I don't think that hydrogen is a hype. Um, I think uh, it is uh, seems to be popular to say that. But uh, if you uh, if you see the dynamics in industry, if you see how many projects are popping up, how much is invested already in. Looking at these projects and feasibility studies and also getting ready for final investment decisions, that is definitely not a hype. I think it's indispensable for the energy transition in order to decarbonize industry, heavy-duty transportation and organize seasonal storage that we so desperately need in an economy where you have much more renewables in your electricity mix. So it's really indispensable. It is, it is not a an hype and you can turn it the other way around. If it doesn't work, if it's not going to work to decarbonize industry and heavy duty transportation, then we will not achieve climate neutrality in 2050. Yeah. So yeah. we have to kiss goodbye to our... Ambitions on 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 climate uh, on mitigating climate change, and yeah. we have to only, you know, we can only then prepare for adaptation and, and and damage. So that's going to be much more costly than the things that we now have to invest to get clean hydrogen ready to penetrate the energy mix.
0: Yeah, because René, you wanted to say something about uh, the value chain or other challenges the gas union has met.
3: Yes, it's not only what Ghazini has met, but I think that's the whole industry meeting uh, the same challenges. Uh, uh, Melissa already explained the technical challenges that we have, uh, but we do need not to forget that we need to build a full new value chain. Uh, All the renewable energy sources up till now were just uh, uh, taken into existing energy systems. And for hydrogen, we need to build up from uh, supply uh, towards demand in new application areas in heating processes, in uh, uh, CO2-free electricity production, in in transport, uh, mobility, uh, planes, uh, fuels. Maybe that's also sometimes a reason that it feels like uh, a hype. Uh, Uh, it's a big promise uh, and the technology is there. Only we need to go through the upscaling process. And that means that the volumes that we will need in the future cannot be made ready tomorrow. Uh, You already said, well, uh, what what can you do now? Why does it take so long? But it takes time to really uh, come to the right levels. And that means uh, that now if you talk about uh, hygiene to 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 the public uh, they should not expect tomorrow that they have hygiene in the houses for instance that will take time to develop and that's why it feels uh, as a promise far away but it's actually something that's being worked on today invested in today scaler, uh, scaling up is happening today all in achieving uh, in the end the CO2 uh, reduction emission targets
1: yeah. yeah, and just to support that I definitely it cannot be a hype. So to back, to back up on to what Noah was saying is that we don't have another solution to heating. We don't have another solution to heavy duty, really big heavy duty transport to shipping. Zero carbon solutions. We there is nothing else. So we we have to make it work. I think it, people are understand, don't understand that this is a, we're talking about hydrogen differently today. It's different today than it was 20, 30 years ago. Because now it's green and then it was great. Yeah, it's green and it's captured and it's an infrastructure play. And we have a commitment to reduce our emissions, not just electricity. Because yeah. remember, our emissions are basically electricity, heating, transport. And we've done great on one, but we still have the other two. Yeah.
2: And we'll see a global market developing. So we we see around the world so much dynamics. Uh, Australia will start exporting hydrogen to Japan. They call it uh, shipping sunshine around the world from they have so much solar energy capacity they will turn it into green hydrogen and they will as they say ship it around the world so we will see also a global commodity market developing and the netherlands is also ready also to uh, to import hydrogen because we will need so much clean hydrogen in order to decarbonize all of these sectors that we see and also a role for imports. We are already talking to Portugal, for instance, on a first project of importing green hydrogen from Portugal to the Netherlands by ship. Our ports, Rotterdam Port, for instance, is very well placed to become a hub for importing green hydrogen into not only the Netherlands, but also all the way to germany because the port of rotterdam is also a port for the industrial heart of germany
0: great and melissa how long will it take us to produce hydrogen on this large scale
1: well i mean maybe just a data point to to help the listeners like in the uk as an example in the winter there's four times as much natural gas in the in the pipelines in the winter as electricity right okay. and and i think the uk is more is a higher percentage of gas versus electricity use in the Netherlands, but the Netherlands is at least double probably. And Germany is, is also a higher number. So when we talk about like, how long will it take? I guess the question is like to replace all the gas because that's more than the electricity we use, right? Yeah. So, So I think what we're looking at is what I would say is like in 10 years and going back to what I said before, in 10 years, if I feel about hydrogen the way I feel about solar today, we're fine, right? Because then it's all about making the scale-up work. We've we've solved some of the bigger problems around the value chain. We kind of know where to put the units, how to make the electricity network and the gas network work together, how the importing is going to work. If in 10 years we've solved some of those big problems, then it's just about building that up, and then it can go really fast, just like we're seeing solar and offshore wind go now.
2: I completely agree with Melissa. I think really the key is the next 10 years. We yeah. need to start this scaling up in the next 10 years. And if we manage that, then the rest will be relatively easy. So I would target personally, for talking about Europe, 5 to 10% of gas should be replaced by clean hydrogen in
0: 2030. Yeah, so... And, and René, um, just on a more... Um, not on an industrial level, which is a large scale, but on a smaller scale, what in the Netherlands is GasUni doing to to follow the first step in order to get in 10 years uh, at
3: this point. <laughs> yeah, we are involved in in a lot of projects in the Netherlands. Um, you tell me uh, one? Yeah, I tell you a few actually. <laughs> yes. uh, one, one of the projects is that we uh, uh, repurposed uh, a former natural gas pipeline in Zealand uh, already one and a half years ago to now transport uh, hygiene. So we're starting with uh, finding out what do we need to do to repurpose the natural gas grid for transporting uh, hygiene. Last year, our king, uh, Willem-Alexander, he opened Highstock, uh, which was the first full uh, uh, value chain of uh, solar until uh, final uh, uh, via electrolysis uh, and storing hygiene, uh, transporting it for mobility and for uh, chemical uh, plants. We're building now on a 20 megawatt uh, electrolyzer. We are part of the, the Heaven uh, Valley. Uh, it's a hygiene valley in uh, Northern Netherlands, where we make the next step in building a larger part of the value chain, more applications where hygiene is used, including uh, uh, the the, the production of, of hygiene all making the steps in uh, in, in creating uh, the new hygiene market and that's already happening today
0: and um, do you need subsidies for that or what about legislation I 'm talking to in way now about these plans. <sighs> Well, we
2: yeah we need all of that. Um, so yes, we we are working um, as many other governments on on designing the appropriate uh, subsidy schemes that can help facilitate this this huge dynamics in industry now. That's that's one thing. Uh, but the second thing is also indeed, as you said, regulation. We definitely need to adjust all of our regulatory frameworks in order to make this uh, to make this happen. Actually, hydrogen hardly exists in the current legislation in many countries, uh, including in the Netherlands. So we have to adjust that. We need to make that um, feasible. And even more importantly, uh, talking about Europe, we need to have a, a a common a common approach also in Europe, so that we can have cross-border trade from uh, from north to south and from east to west in order to have the, the clean hydrogen also flow from country to country. That will help the scaling up and bringing the cost down faster than otherwise would be the case.
0: And do you have some examples of this legislation?
2: one of them one of them being that that we need to allow companies to uh, even transport yeah. uh, hydrogen which is uh, currently not no. not the case and and we need to have a harmonization between countries in order to have it cross border we need to organize a certificates market so that people know that when green hydrogen has been produced you know you have a kind of uh, uh, All the thing on that, that it is a common, uh, common definition of what is, ha- what is the carbon footprint of the hydrogen produced. Actually, you need that globally, but certainly also in Europe, so that we know what we are talking about and that you can also have uh, certificate trading on, uh, on hydrogen.
0: It sounds quite complex to get this all uh, done in in a few years. Nobody it's said the transition would be easy. No, it's what I hear you all say, that, that scaling and the transition is uh, like a
1: time-consuming and money-consuming um, process. But it's not that different from what we've had to do with wind and solar and renewables, right? I mean, yeah. we've had to do the same things. The production tracks credit in the U.S. for onshore wind just finished last year. And yeah. that's when onshore wind in Kansas is $31.70 yeah. per megawatt hour LCA, we know subsidy. So that's like three, ce- three cents, right? So it only finished last year. So I think we've had it for almost every technology. I don't see hydrogen isn't going to be different. We're going to need feed-in tariffs. We're going to need target percentages of blending mandated. We're going to need all the things that we've used for everything else. And I think on top of it... This is what these guys are saying. Hydrogen is an infrastructure play like the others where somebody's got to take a step back and think about what's the most efficient way to do this because you can't just let it kind of evolve because in that we're pivoting from something, right? We're pivoting from an existing gas infrastructure into something different and we shouldn't just let it – like we have to do that efficiently. And the complexity of it is—it's global
0: these days. So it's not like local anymore because we have in the Netherlands, I think, a really good infrastructure.
3: Yeah, pipes. for sure, so we they, have yeah. a good infrastructure which which can be used for hygiene yeah. transport. So I think that's uh, uh, that that's a good start. So it also has an opportunity for the Netherlands to build up, let's say, new businesses and 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 uh, uh, to to have a lot of work around uh, uh, hygiene, uh, which we maybe ahead in, uh, in natural gas, uh, or still having a natural gas, but that, that will uh, uh, decline, of course, in, uh, in future. So this can be uh, also for the economy, uh, an, a nice opportunity to, to work on uh, today. Yeah. Um, maybe I can add to to uh, the, the wind and solar, which you already mentioned. It's a similar uh, step up uh, that we uh, we had to do. Only it was replacing only one part of the value chain. I think that's why it's yeah. making this yeah. more complex. It's not only one part of the value chain, but it's, it's each hole. part of yeah. the value yeah. chain that needs to, uh, uh, to to change. And and for that you need standards, you need norms, yeah. you need agreements with with users, with other countries, with uh, so. Everything needs to be done uh, at the same time. But we have experience. It's not for the first time that we're building something like that. And that's where we can uh, start from and and work towards uh, uh, this decade, basically, to to have uh, the, the big first steps.
0: And Melissa, my last question is for you. Which role do you play as Accenture in this part
3: of energy transition?
1: So so at Accenture we define our purpose in the energy transition is to industrialize it. So we want the energy transition to be industrialized to be efficient, to be cost effective. We want to apply digital technology everything we can to create this new hydrogen economy and other energy transitions in an industrialized in an industrialized way. I think that's how we see our purpose. Not about the not really about the strategy or the shaping, but about really making it big and mainstream and material renee you want to add something
3: we need a lot of cooperation we need parties to work together and and to step up and and to make the next steps to make the next investments and and to look for the opportunities this is not something that a party or a company can do by itself uh, sounds so like teamwork <laughs> it, it is teamwork and that's also something we need to get used to uh, energy transition is working yeah. it's not just waiting until uh, it's arrived so we need to work the next decades to to make it happen actually
1: the, the end-use applications are actually really important, right? How do you—appliances in the home, um, industrial, like, high-pressure processes. Mm. There's a lot of the end-use segments that we actually need to be working just as hard as the policymakers, just as hard as the infrastructure and production. We need the end-use sectors to be looking at how can they adapt their processes and products to use hydrogen as well. Yeah,
2: maybe two points i would i would like to add still on the eu level we definitely need a strong eu leadership and a strong eu hydrogen strategy which we hope will be coming forward but we need that to go faster together with other countries and to get the costs down sooner than otherwise would be the case That's my first point. And my second point that I would like to add is... ...there is a tremendous regional and local dynamics also around hydrogen. So a lot of things that nobody talks about in podcasts or in newspapers. But at the local level, small cities where small hydrogen networks are created... ...by companies working together. Because they all want to contribute also to the energy transition. And they can do it with hydrogen. That's also a very interesting uh, dimension versatile dimension of hydrogen it's and not I'm a silver bullet eh? We we should not advertise it as a, as a silver bullet it is an indispensable part of the energy transition but it is next to other important things like energy efficiency and obviously solar energy solar electricity wind. wind and yeah. electricity etc so it's not going to be you know the silver bullet that solves all our issues but it is an indispensable part of the energy transition
0: Thank you very much for your expertise and input in this discussion. Melissa Stark, Managing Director at Accenture Renewables, van Hulst, Hydrogen Envoy at the Dutch Ministry of Economic Affairs and Climate Policy, and René Schutte, Program Manager Hydrogen at Gasunie. My name is Tuffy Vos, and you've been listening to Accenture's Transition Talk. We'll be back soon with the second episode of this series about district heating.